1: What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Straight Up Sabres, presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo. As always, I'm Brendan. And I'm Taylor. And folks, we were off on Monday, but we are back now and have a lot to get to in today's episode. The Sabres' inability to win consecutive games is alive and well after they fell to the Anaheim Ducks 4-3 to on Monday night at home. I will also note that we are recording this episode Prior to Thursday's game against Montreal, just in case you're wondering why we're catching up here, the loss against Anaheim comes after a nice overtime win against Minnesota on Saturday, which saw Henry Yoki Haru, of all players, net the game winner. In Monday's loss, the Sabres got off to a strong start against the Ducks, outshooting them 15-4 in the first period and finished the game with a 37-14 shot count. Jordan Greenway, Tage Thompson, and Zach Benson secured the goals for the Sabres with Thompson's coming on the power play. But again, it was not enough as John Gibson had a strong outing, stopping 34 shots in this one. One positive note I will say, though, is that it seems as though, pretty novel idea, giving Peyton Krebs skill players to play alongside is paying off in the early goings as he, Zach Benson, and J.J. Paterka have shown instant chemistry with one another. In addition to the games, Don Granado in the post-game after the Anaheim loss had some comments that got fans talking a bit as he essentially acknowledging that while the Sabres have improved in some areas where they fell flat last year, he believes that sooner or later, the scoring touch that we saw from this team last year will return. Granted, it's a bit late in the season for hoping and not doing, so understandably, the comments were a bit divisive. Finally, with the trade deadline approaching, the Sabres continue to get linked to players around the league. Most recently, San Jose Sharks captain and noted Bills fan Logan Couture among them. But let's start with the pair of games that we mentioned at the top. Taylor, what were your takeaways?
0: Well, I mean, for the first time in a while, last week uh, went about how I thought it was going to. I remember we talked about it, and I think it was two Mondays ago leading up to it, which, by the way, everyone, thank you so much for respecting our President's Day break. Me and Brendan take President's Day very seriously. Mm -hmm. I spent all day thinking about uh, Chester Arthur and uh, all his contributions. We love Chester
1: Alan Arthur moment. (laughs) But just to get back to it,
0: yeah, it was like, I kind of said going into the week that I think, you know, L.A. was kind of, they've been, I don't know how to put this, shitting the bed (laughs) for like six weeks. And meanwhile, Minnesota just hasn't been very good. Minnesota is about as good as the Sabres, which is not good. And they're playing in a worse conference while they're doing it. And that Florida, I, I said, I think at the time that they, they were my team that I think is the most complete team in the East. So now I really believe that with Florida, they're, they're dynamite. I think Boston and New York had great starts, but they're both, I think they're pretty flawed teams, honestly. And I think Florida is the most complete roster Uh, in the East, which means they'll probably lose in the first or second round. But Minnesota and L.A. was kind of like, eh. I can't say I expected, despite L.A.'s poor play of late, I can't say I expected that 7-0, that spanking last Tuesday night. But, you know, hey, it, it was a good time. And the Minnesota one, yeah, it's about how you should play against Minnesota. Not how the Sabres should play, but how you'd expect them to play given this season. Both of these teams are not having great ears And because of that, you expect them to be pretty equal and they, they pretty much are equal teams. So I, I wasn't too surprised, but it was nice to see them uh, not lay down in a close game and, and kind of come back because obviously we saw later uh, this week, what they look, what the Sabres tend to look like in one goal games in their loss to Anaheim, which is very unfortunate getting swept by the ducks who are, one of the three worst teams in the league and are bad enough to be the worst team in most seasons when you don't have historically bad teams like San Jose and Chicago. Yeah, it's super disappointing. It's not just about like, yes, okay, Lucan had a bad game and you got goalied by Gibson, whatever. Both of those things can happen. The concern is the Sabres seem to be so bad in these situations that they're down one and the game is just over. And I think, That was not what you saw against Minnesota on Saturday. That was kind of the opposite. But that was the exception this season. The Sabres have a a bad time playing from behind, because not to make too grand a point about this, they have a bad time playing situationally, which speaks to bad coaching, in my opinion. It's not just the players. That's my thought. So those are my uh, kind of two long thoughts on on the games we've had that just went by.
1: Well, as we were talking about, too, as I should say, as we mentioned uh, in the intro of the episode, Tage ended up having a power play goal in this one. Tage is starting to like string together points a little bit here and there, not nearly to the the pace uh, or level that he was at last year. But uh, a common thing that seems to be a pretty widely shared belief here is that his hand is not well, and he is playing through this. What do you make of that, Taylor? I mean, it's obviously a tough position for Tage to be in because you need him in the lineup and he's clearly able to still be effective in some capacity, but it's clearly a diminished version of the guy that we saw last year, which, you know, I guess that's kind of two sides of the coin. Like on the one hand, okay, maybe that's a little bit encouraging, the fact that he is playing injured and maybe that's kind of the reason why he hasn't played as well as he did last year, been as effective as he was last year. But then the other side of that, he's playing injured and... They're not winning games. So what do you make of that? I mean, how serious do you think that this is? And just the overall effect on the team of Tage potentially playing injured? Generally,
0: I think it's pretty admirable when you have a minor injury to try to play through it, play through the pain because the season when he was coming back, the season could have been slipping away. But now that's past tense. It it did slip away, at least in terms of playoff chances. So I don't if there's any chance that he could hurt himself further, I you know i would prefer that he not do that and just start to focus on next year because this is a lost season uh on the other hand i guess it is still an assumption that he's he's playing hurt and it's an assumption i believe though to be fair because there's not a lot of other ones that really make sense i mean you could you could get to the point that they're doing a bad job of getting him the puck in the power play and that's hurt a lot but he hasn't just he hasn't been as good with the puck on a stick this year and i think you'd have to look at that as a reasonable answer and of course his shooting percentage dipped a little bit as a lot of guys have but I think you have to look at the, the main thing wrong with him being potentially that he's not playing at hundred percent. That makes a lot of sense to me. And, uh, but I, like I said, going forward, I don't think it's really a good idea generally to play hurt. And I think if you can't get hurt any further and you're just playing through your pain, uh, maybe that's acceptable. Well, why play through pain when the season is the way it is right now. And if you could be doing more damage, definitely don't just get it taken care of now.
1: Agreed. Particularly, I think one moment that stood out among a few was in the four on four on the first period and Tage had a breakaway and just fired it wide, which when you're yeah. that level of a of a player and what we know what Tage's capabilities are, something just feels a little bit off. But That remains to be seen. I'm sure we'll get more information about that at the end of the season. That being said, though, Taylor, I wanted to go back to uh, any observations that before we get to Granado's comments, I wanted to get back to any observations that you may have had uh, from the game. As we had talked about, I think one thing that is worth highlighting is the strong play of the new third line of Paterka, Benson, and Krebs. And this has been something that we've been talking about for a very long time with Krebs, that he just seemingly just – over and over again, was just getting reverted and and buried on that fourth line, playing with Jurgensen's and Opozo, really not getting opportunities to move up the lineup while there were other guys who were out and getting opportunities, you know, uh, having opportunities going to guys like Jordan Greenway, Eric Robinson for for a few games uh, a a month or two ago. And it just seemingly was like, you know, you, you get Krebs as part of the Eichel deal. He's this first round pick. He is this pure playmaker who is a a good skater, really good with his edges. He's got pretty good stick handling ability, good vision, just really wasn't able to quite put it together at the NHL level yet. And what's going directly uh, against that and not really helping him at all is the fact that he was getting these very defensive heavy minutes, not nearly offensively inclined line mates, and just wasn't getting enough playing time as it was, and so people understandably have been calling for that because you know you're getting into this period now where you have a lot of guys who are going to be coming up on contracts. Like Jack Quinn is going to need one, JJ Paterka, Casey Middlestat, Devin Levi is eventually going to need one, and Peyton Krebs among them as well. And so when it comes down to it, it's like what, how are you finding out really what you have in this asset, like? What is this guy? Is he just a bottom six or a fourth line center that you're going to just lean on for his defensive capabilities and all of the, the potential offense that he has is going to go to the wayside because of the fact that you just don't want to play him with those guys? Or do you want to give him an opportunity to be able to move up the lineup and see what you have here and see if this is somebody that has the the versatility and the offensive punch that you'd want a guy that could potentially be a part of the long-term core here, especially when you consider the the wealth of forwards that they have in the organization right now and guys that they currently have under contract, roles that are, are currently in place and roles that they need. And so again, now we're at this point that you're putting him with two guys, one, Zach Benson, who we all know is in his rookie year right now and has been at times, you know, showing real legitimate flashes that he is a cornerstone piece of this team moving forward uh, or, or a firm piece of the, of the core here moving forward. And then you're also playing him with JJ Paterka, another guy who has really turned heads this year, but on obviously a much more consistent basis than Krebs and has probably been on a night to night basis overall, like the second or third most impressive forward that the Sabres have had this year. He's having a, a, a really really strong breakout year of his own and so to finally reward crabs with again a, a skilled and shifty player who has a, a bit of bite to his game like benson and then you have a a playmaker who's developing this finishing touch and jj Paterka. it seems like this is long overdue so what are your thoughts on what you've seen from that line in these two games and if it's worthwhile for trying to keep them together as long as they can through the rest of the season.
0: Yeah. Uh I don't know. I think in general, I think the rest of the season, given that it's the last season, I think they should be trying to switch things up a little bit, but I do want to see crabs up the lineup. Like that is something we've talked about so many times here. And it's clear when you watch him that he suffers because he's, he's a pass first guy. And a lot of times Pass-first guys can be frustrating because maybe they want to pass up shots when they shouldn't. Casey Middlestick can be like that as well. But if he can do that, that's the skill you have. He's not You're not paying him or whatever. You didn't acquire him to be uh, on your top line. So he's definitely suffering because he can't set up his line mates because, well, first of all, they're barely ever in the offensive zone when he's playing with Robinsons, Oposo, and Gurgenson's, but also because they're too slow. They play a slower game than him. So when he has the puck, he has no one to pass it to, and he's been kind of lost on offense, I think, because of that. But him playing up the lineup, I think it's it's going to be good. It's going to pay dividends in terms of you actually getting to see him pass to people, like him make plays and then pass, and then see how that sets things up and see that he can be a useful offensive player. Or maybe he can't be on a consistent enough basis, but at least you know then. So mm-hmm. that'll be good to see. Um, in, in general, like it's going to be good to see – Paterka play with, I guess, other guys. Like This whole season has been an an exercise in seeing how he does without just playing with Quinn, and he's done very well without it, which, I mean, it's very unfortunate what's happened to Quinn this year, but I guess the good news out of it is that, like, wow, Paterka is a really solid player in his own right, and we should be pretty excited about his future going forward and and maybe even the improvements he continues to make since Paterka is only 21 years old. Uh, but, yeah, generally looking at the top lines this year, I what I'm interested in, I guess, is what are you thinking about at the top line next year, especially if you're not making a major move? I wouldn't hate just running back Tage tuck and Skinner and hoping it goes better, but it, it really did not go as well this year, and that's from every standpoint. with a, It's plus minus, uh, how much they scored, their advanced stats, eye test, all of it. It just—it definitely took a step back, and I think they have to figure that out. And maybe uh, have Tage and Tuck split up among the top two lines, or maybe it's Tage and Tuck and someone else, and Skinner's on the second line. I don't know. They're going to have to figure that out. But I think in in general, you know, take this chance to try a couple different things out. Doesn't really matter now, does it? You just got no. stuck by the Ducks. The season's over. Yeah, season's it's really over.
1: To, yeah, it's really hard to say with the lines next year because you would have to think that there's going to be I shouldn't even say you have to think because there really hasn't been but there would be some significant addition to the forward group or some addition that would maybe change things up from as you have it right now I think that Skinner probably feels like more of a candidate to move down the lineup just taking into consideration his age and regression and I think that in turn, you can also then maybe play him with guys that will allow him to play to his strengths more and make up for some of his shortcomings. Obviously, that being uh at the defensive and in the defensive zone among the top of the list. But I I do think it's interesting. And I think that we are getting to this point now where, as we've talked about, like when it comes to not even the top line, but like the top nine, there's just a lot of bodies there, only considering the guys that are currently in the organization right now. And what I really want to see from this final stretch here is like you alluded to there, that this kind of needs to be like an audition for who is going to be a part of the team next year and what those roles are going to be. And I think that again, tying back into Krebs, like that's why it's so important because like, yes, he's an RFA, but you're also going to just have to get ready to figure out like, what's our plan with this guy. You're not going to give him some long-term contract or something like this. But just to have an understanding of like organizationally, where do you see him? What need does he fill? What is his role? And I don't know. I mean, I just, I, I guess for me, it's like you look at the forward group and the defense and obviously goaltending too. you know, UPL's emergence aside this year, like do you need pretty significant additions to all three phases. That's not to say that I think that the Sabres are in like disaster mode and like really far off, but like you need to get a competent backup slash 1B next year, assuming that it's going to be UPL and veteran guy. And you keep Levi and Rochester for another year to allow him to continue to develop at his own pace. And if the time comes where he's just lighting it on fire down there and he forces your hand and you have to bring him up, then great. That's a great problem to have. And D- on D, clear as day that. There are not many spots that are, I think perfectly solidified right now. I mean, obviously Darlene and power are locked up, are locked up long-term Ryan Johnson has emerged and has proved that he is a, a, a capable NHL defenseman, whether that being maybe on the second pair or maybe more confidently on that third pair, but Samson Samuelson is going to come back from injury. But again, we don't really know what his role is going to look like given how ugly his season was going. And so that leaves two spots there. I mean, Yoki Haru has had an improved season, but again, like, are you just going to run that entire group back? I don't necessarily think so. I think that maybe it's be a buyout or if there's some way that they could find a way to to trade him, that Clifton's not going to be here. And Eric Johnson's not going to be here by the time the trade deadline comes around. So there is a couple of spots there. And I think it's without question that you need to make one significant addition to that d group and then in the forwards yeah i mean uh, of course the 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 scoring has taken a step back and we know now that in large part that was because of the switch in philosophy from last year to this year where there's just so much more of an emphasis being put on the defensive side of the game for guys and it's it's similar Mm -hmm. to like we said with like ralph kruger where it's like you're putting guys in positions and asking them to play in roles that don't suit their strengths like allow these guys to lean into what their strengths are and fill out the rest of the lineup with complementary pieces that are going to be able to fill those voids or those gaps where maybe you need a little bit more improvement from, uh, you know, the forwards defensively or, or anything along those lines. So that just leads me to believing like, Hey, as we've been saying, you, you have all of these forward prospects and, For the right player and somebody that is going to be like an impact player, whether it is at forward or on D, there there really shouldn't be anybody that is outside of the NHL right now that's like completely off limits, if that's what it's going to take to get you that impact guy. And the Sabres have the luxury of having several of those guys and several other assets that they can use that they can make those acquisitions without making really any real damage to their core, which let's be clear here, this is not like, you know, Pittsburgh or Tampa trading away like a, a recent first round pick or a, a an upcoming first rounder for assets to try and supplement like an aging core and you're giving up on this youth and then that's hurting your prospect system. Like the Sabres are one of the youngest teams in the league and more than just about anybody else are equipped to be able to lose some of these young guys because your your top two centers are both lined up and what is Tate? Is Tate 24, 25? Cousins is obviously... 25, yeah. 25 cousins younger than that. You have Benson who is 18, 19 years old. Who's proven that he's belongs here. Quinn and Paterka are both in their early twenties. Darlene is in his mid twenties powers in his early twenties. Like your core guys that are going to be a part of the solution are all young. And they're obviously not going to be pieces that you're going to use in any of these trades. So it's okay. If you use some of the, the younger prospects, because what is their place going to be in the first place when you already have some proven commodities on the roster that really aren't too far ahead of these young guys? Um, I know that was a very long way of responding there, but it just, I don't know. I, I, it kind of, I was reading uh Chad had a good piece and expected Buffalo this week. I think it, this, I think it was this week that it, essentially the summary of it was like, they're really not that far off. Like, this season has been a disaster and not making the playoffs makes this season an abject failure 100%. There's no silver linings, there's no feel good stories or anything like that, but they're not that far off. Like we're talking about like within the same calendar year that this team was one of the best scoring teams in the NHL with atrocious goaltending and then the 5 on 5 scoring dips a little bit but is still quality enough to be among the top half of the league your power play then just like ceases to exist and is atrocious and then you finally get the goaltending that your team so desperately needed last year like to me i do think that i'm saying that they need like two significant pieces and that may feel like a lot but i don't think it is because of the fact that the rest of the roster and a lot of the depth is already there it's just you need this to not only get you over the top to being a, a playoff contender and in the conversation but like this makes you uh, uh, an actual contender come playoff time if you're able to make those moves. So, uh, again, like I I just it's, you know, next year is just cards on the table. Like there, there's this year there was no excuse. But given the promise that came from the end of last year and then with this season just falling completely flat. With all of these expectations and all of this momentum that was supposed to be carried over from last season into this year and for it to end up this way, how it's inevitably going to end up, which is probably what a top 10 pick for us. I don't know. It's this hard thing where like you can't give them credit, but at the same time, like I don't think that they're that far away and they just need these couple of bigger moves. And then we're not talking about just squeaking into the playoffs, sneaking into the playoffs. We're talking about like giving other teams throughout the conference a run from their money
0: yeah and I think I don't know if chad covered this or not in his thing but there is a I if you want to look at any positives for the future there's the situation we described before the season still kind of exists Florida's great boston's in decline Tampa's in decline toronto uh I don't know they might be in decline soon at the very least they don't like winning in the playoffs but they they have given up a ton and we went over this all last spring after the trade deadline those teams were all all in if you didn't notice. None of them made the cut. Florida did. But Toronto gave up, up so much for Ryan O'Reilly and so, so just so many picks in general. Tampa gave up five picks for Tanner Janot, Boston given up a ton of picks. These teams are not – I know it's it, it's hard to listen to this year after year, but this is it. Like These teams are de- in definite decline. All three of these teams, I would say, are worse than they were last year. Toronto might be close to where they were last year. Tampa's worse, no doubt. Tampa's gotten worse multiple years in a row. Uh, And on top of that, Boston, I mean, they had to be worse than they were last year, but they really are thriving on goaltending and special teams. And the goaltending might last. It can be fickle. Special teams will not last at this level. Uh, Boston is really papering over that with the fact that no one can catch them but Florida because everyone else is in decline. And the teams that aren't in decline are the teams the Sabres are supposed to be competing with to, I, I, I guess, change the hierarchy of the Eastern Conference. Well, right now, that looks like this. Montreal still sucks. They have the same point total as the Sabres but they have a minus 41 goal differential. They're not good. Their top prospects are more of a concern than the Sabres are. Ottawa stinks. And despite what people would have you believe, they've been in this rebuild longer than us. They don't really have any answers. Detroit, hanging by a thread for the final playoff spot with, as I said last episode, the like fourth best shooting percentage of the advanced stats error. So just putting that in broader terms, since 2007 of the like 500 teams or more, that have been measured, they have, like, the highest even-strength shooting percentage. And with that, with all that good fortune or all the bounces going their way, they're still in the last playoff spot. So the Sabres should be able to, with the right offseason, easily pass both those teams, stay ahead of Montreal, and then look at the rest of the conference. Washington, in terminal decline. They're missing the playoffs for the second year in a row. They've been bad since pretty much halfway through two years ago. Pittsburgh, wow. They're missing the playoffs for the second year in a row. And oh boy, that is trouble because their roster is old as shit and they don't have that many picks either. So those teams should be bad for a little bit. The Rangers are still pretty good. The Rangers are, as we've said before, a little bit older than you might think because their best players are the Panerans of the world. I mean, Fox is good and Shesterkin should be good going forward, but a lot of their best guys are young and a lot of their top draft picks are not all that great. The Islanders, ha ha ha. Uh, The... I'm trying to think what else is. uh, Columbus. Columbus stinks. I mean, we'll see what happens with Columbus. I wouldn't say they're in a good spot. Philadelphia, they're in an interesting spot. I don't know how worried you are about Philadelphia going forward. But the point I'm laying out here is that the East is not that well set up for the future. The Sabres should be able to pop right in uh, with the right moves in the offseason. The other problem is, though, with that is the Sabres not knowing exactly what to do in the offseason. I think you laid out is pretty reasonable, but – At this point, should the Sabres be looking at next year as like, hey, we got to make the playoffs. We absolutely have to. And we're ready to compete kind of year. I think they should. But I think a lot of people, hopefully not Kevin Adams or whoever is GM next year, doesn't look at this and go, well, got to reshuffle the fourth line. Oposo out, Gergensen's out, Robinson out, uh, Eric Johnson, whoever else. Well, maybe we try to find a taker for Skinner or – maybe we try this and that and get some more young guys and try to, whoever they take, like eighth in the draft or whatever, try to get him in soon and get Cooley can Savoy time. And then all of a sudden it's just uh, a really young team that really isn't ready to compete. Or maybe it is in this conference, who knows? But anyway, these other teams aren't just going to stand by and just get worse and let the Sabres get good. But there is an opportunity here for sure. And I think it's also worth noting when you're looking at these other teams, the Sabres being bad situationally, like I mentioned earlier, that sucks. It's terrible. It ruins the season. And if Granado is brought back, I'm, I don't have any faith that'll be better. But the good news with that is it can be easily fixed. You get better at these little situations that can turn over a lot of points, not like 50 points or not, the Sabres are going to just all of a sudden be a 110 point team because they got slightly better at situational hockey. But this is why the Sabres have some of the best. They have, I think are still top 10 and even strength scoring rate. And they're they're not good. Well, this is part of the reason. I mean, the power play can get better, obviously. But they have a negative nine goal differential with 52 points. Montreal, like I said earlier, negative 41. The Islanders, negative 22. Washington, negative 32. Columbus, negative 44. They're better than these teams. Definitely better. So even though they will be ending the season very close to the bottom of the Eastern Conference, both in terms of total points and in terms of their standing, there is a chance. But, I don't know if you want to switch gears here, but for that to take place, you have to take this offseason seriously. This cannot be an endless rebuild. This cannot be, oh, we're young, forever and ever. And that means you have to spend to the cap. Yep. So it's everyone from Granado or whoever the coach is all the way up to Pagoula has to take this offseason more seriously.
1: I think that the perfect way at looking at this is the iteration of the Sabers prior to this one where you had pieces like Jack Eichel, Sam Reinhart, Brandon Montour, Lena Solmark, all of these guys who are now having much more success post Sabres than they ever did during their career here. And those are all guys that I guess would probably, with the exception of like Montour there, that were pretty damn good when they were with the Sabres, but they've been able to elevate their game to another level. And the reason I bring those guys up is because of the fact that it's just so clear as day why those teams did not work out when they had so many good players who are finding so much success. Like Eichel wins a cup last year. Allmark wins a Vesna, Reinhardt is in the cup and is uh, playing at an insane pace right now well over a point per game pace and is in the in the selkie conversation montour has emerged as a legitimate offensive defenseman and the guy that we thought we were getting when we traded for him from anaheim you know it's not that these guys just like we're here and it's their fault that the team didn't make the playoffs or were underperforming it's twofold it's one the fact that they really didn't get serious about coaching and two and probably a lot more importantly that they didn't appropriately fill out the rest of the lineup around those key pieces. And so it's a little bit different than what the Sabres have now, where it's like, you you have some depth here and you have your, your key pieces. Um, but coaching is still an issue. And also again, it's, it's the fact that like there are these specific areas, even though this current Sabres team has a bit more depth, there are these specific areas on the roster. It's the case now. And it was the case back then where they're just not addressing the need and that prevents these guys from reaching their full potential it prevents them from making the playoffs and it's exactly why all of them are having success now because they went to teams that either have a ton of star power and are able to just overcome their shortcomings or they have general managers that are building for the now and are trying to win right now and know how to appropriately look at a roster and say okay we need to make a significant addition to our top four D group. So we need to use these assets to go and do that. Oh, you know what? Like we want to go on a run and we want to put ourselves over the top. And I think we can use some additional scoring punch on our second line. Let's go use this pick, this first rounder to go and do that. Like the Sabres just fundamentally have not done that at all. Is the last time that they made like a significant win now move, like the, the O'Reilly, Kane, and, and off season? Uh, I guess. What about Wayne I mean. Simmons? I'll let you re-answer that question seriously this time. Uh, a serious win now move. I don't know what you mean by serious, but Wayne Simmons. Uh, he says.
0: <laughs> uh, those are God. I don't, that's a great question. Yeah, I don't know because, yeah, they really. Man, are they trying to win now after uh, that?
1: Well, it's is like every every, every
0: for Jeff Skinner a win now move.
1: I guess, yeah, that's fair. I, I'll I'll concede that one. If somebody wants to say Taylor Hall, sure, but it's still the same thing where it's like, oh no. Well, but even with Skinner though, like yes, that was a, a quote unquote win now move. But the reality of it is, it's the same thing that holds true. Is that yes, you you filled one need there, but there's these other needs that you are just ignoring and expecting that these guys are going to be able to carry you. And I think a lot of it also along with personnel, it just, it comes back to coaching for me. Like Granado was great for helping a lot of these young guys reach their full potential. And I think he will be able to get another job on a rebuilding team or something of the sort. But I just, I I can't believe I'm saying this because I've always been a fan of the like cutting edge kind of hire, you know, I we, I think a lot of people felt really good about the Kruger hire when it first happened. Obviously we learned that everything that he was saying was a load of bullshit. The Granado hire, we really liked a lot. Um, you know, back before Kruger was hired, I wanted, I think we both talked about like Ricard Gronberg, for example, as a guy. Yeah. Um, and I just, I truly now it's just gotten to the point that this team just, I think it needs a veteran coach that, knows how to get the job done, knows how to navigate the highs and lows of an 82 game season and how to get you over the finish line and into the playoffs. And they just like, haven't had that. I mean, sure people can look at Bilesma or whatever, but still that's not those two things converging because there was so many holes on the roster. And also Bilesma was a coach that he had a cup. Yes, but it was because he had the best player in the world on his team, two of the best players in the world on his team. And, so they really haven't like done that. And I just think that you need a guy that I don't want to say like coddles, but there's just been too much of the, the talk about like the vibe like and we're not even really talking about vibes anymore for that matter, you know, but we're still doing the guys who want to be here, this, that, and the other. Like I need a coach that has some fire under him that has some passion under him. That's going to make these guys be motivated even if they don't have like the, the coddly friendship relationship that they have with Granado, somebody that's going to hold them accountable and push them. And I'm not saying like an old head hockey mind or something like that. I'm not saying go hire Mike Babcock, but like, I I don't mean to like belabor the point with him, but like, man, like Bruce Boudreau is sitting right there. Like this off season, you can't like after not making the playoffs and we'll see how the rest of the year goes. But like, You can't look at this, the the state of this team and how this has all gone, and think in any way, shape, or form that Granado is better for this group than Bruce Boudreaux is, or any, or Woodcroft, or any guy that has shown you that they know how to bring out the best in players, bring out the offense in guys, score, and be able to just like win games. You know, like the Sabres, like you mentioned before, like last year, they were a high scoring team this year at five on five. Like the scoring is still there. The power play is atrocious. And again, like this is an issue that has been present throughout this year. And there really hasn't seemed to be any answers from this team. Sure. You have a stretch here or there where you'll maybe go 50 percent or something like that. If you're like one for two. But otherwise, it looks abysmal. And for I would say maybe 80 percent of the year, the power play has looked very stagnant, very stale, not at all dynamic or there's not a lot of movement and and creativity with it. It's just been stale and predictable. And so what I think is that you need to have a coach that you need to go out and get a coach this off season that has on his resume, that they have a proven history of success in getting guys over the line to the playoffs. I feel like a lot of times in sports, we talk about how like retreats, like it doesn't work out. Well, or, like, you know, that team should think outside the box, whatever. But in the NHL, like, in a lot of cases, these retreats, even if it only lasts for, like, maybe four or five years or anything like that, they still will get the job done, and that's why they end up getting those jobs, you know? And so, again, like, I'm not saying, like, who's somebody terrible who's, like, a bad coach that just should not be one. Um, Housley. Oh, yeah, like Housley, for example. That's not what I'm saying, but I'm saying a guy that's, like, been around like jay woodcroft I, would, right and and i hate to use the example and i i don't want to sound too old man right now or anything like that and i do not like this dude i want to preface this like and anybody who's listened to this show over the past few years knows i do not like this guy but it's... would don would don Granado be able to do what tortorella is doing in philadelphia right now no tortorella is a good coach he is a he is He is. I think he's a little bit archaic with things, but like, that's a guy that, like I said, it's somebody that like holds guys accountable and is able to like bring out the best in, in anybody. And he's, he's, he's a guy that is perfect for, uh, Hey, our team kind of sucks.
0: Can you make us be not embarrassing? Can you get the best out of everyone so that we're not embarrassing this year? And that's what's exactly what's happening in Philadelphia. It's what happened in Columbus. He was great at that. Not for exciting hockey, And I know he won a cup 20 years ago. I don't think he could have won a cup at any point in the last 15 years.
1: No, not at all. So, again, like, you just need somebody to break this. Like, we're going on 13 years of this. Yeah. Longest in the history of the sport. About to be tied for the longest in all of the four major sports. With the New York fucking Jets. The Jets. You're on the same level as the Jets. I just, again, this, this, it just feels as though they're banking on development for the sake of development. And there's no urgency in the building. And I'm telling you right now, like there needs to be in this off season, if they, if they look bad down the stretch and they keep doing this win one, lose two, win one, lose two shit, the rest of the season, it needs to be more than just you fire the assistant coaches and bring in new guys and you, and you give Granado another run at this, like get fucking serious be a real serious franchise want to make the playoffs do whatever is necessary to get across the finish line and don't just sit back and think that like things are gonna play out just because you're you you've built this like you need to go out and take it and they're just not
0: so but before we get to anything else let's uh, hear a word from our sponsor DraftKings. We know hockey games move fast, but with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, you can score faster than anything happening on the ice. This week, new customers can bet 5 bucks and get 200 instantly in bonus bets. So, for example, you're probably listening to this on Thursday, two of our favorite teams are playing tonight, the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Vegas Golden Knights. Mm. Vegas is favored. They're minus 120 on the money line, despite the fact that Toronto is definitely the hotter team coming in, but it is in Vegas. So a lot to consider there if you want to bet on that. If you do, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now with promo code THPN. New customers can bet just 5 bucks on the NHL and get 200 instantly in bonus bets. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code THPN. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY at 467-369. Connecticut help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-777. Visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age vary by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. cdkng.com slash hockey for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. NHL and the NHL shield are registered trademarks of the National Hockey League. Copyright NHL 2024. All rights reserved. I, I had something I wanted to bring up this episode. I don't think it was just the people missing Tim Murray on Twitter. <laughs> I think there's something I really Coacher? Want to was it Logan Couture? No, I don't. Do I think, think the about Coacher, that though.
1: I did mention it in the beginning. How, what are your thoughts? I don't like it. <laughs> I
0: don't believe it. To be mm-hmm. honest, mm-hmm. Uh, I I appreciate. I like the Bills too, just like Logan Couture. But I do not. Maybe they should trade for you. Uh, I would not recommend that based on the shape I'm in. And my hip might not pass the physical. Who's to say?
1: Fair enough. Anyways, though, what so any idea of what the thing was that you wanted to talk about?
0: No, I'm just, I'm just, uh, I don't know. I just don't remember anything anymore. Maybe this is just getting old. But I guess we should bring up the Tim Murray thing then. Brendan, do you miss Tim Murray?
1: Oh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, boy, do I miss Tim Murray? No. Yeah, I uh,
0: I I kind of agree with that. Uh, I think people just totally misremember the Tim Murray era because I think you can make two arguments that he actually wasn't very aggressive,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and that he just kind of wanted he just he just had a warped view of how to build a team, both in terms of like size that everyone had to be big, and in the modern game, and that it was going to be a star based event when two multiple of your stars that he got together robin Leonard never been a starting goalie evander uh, kane was a very one-dimensional forward and reinhardt and eichel were uh, both really young fellas they're teenagers so really dumb on his part the other thing is though people forget all he did after trading for o'reilly i don't try to remember what word That it was i think it was same day Lent, trade for leonard draft eichel trade for o'reilly i think mm-hmm. anyway after that day all he really did that was bold was sign Oposo the next July 1st which is a, a, I mean it's an interesting signing I don't know if it was very good but it was defensible at the time and he traded a third for Jimmy Vesey's rights so that shit was never going to happen that was just a stupid one stupid at the moment but it's it's kind of forgotten that going into the 2015-16 season like his other additions to like the worst team ever were like oh, let's get Cody Franzen out there and they got David Leguan as a throw in on the, on the other trading, the roster was still really bad. So I'm looking at this right now. I was there opening night in 2016. This is right after Eichel broke his leg. The roster was not good that they threw out there. This is, by the way, two years removed. This is two years removed from the tank season. Here were some guys on that roster. Nick Delorier, Hudson Fashing, Josh Georges, Derek Grant. Casey Nelson, and then there's other guys who I'm not going to say were terrible, but uh, were worth pointing out. Ristolainen and Zach Bogosian playing big minutes. Brian Gianta as your captain. I believe Vander Kane actually got hurt in that game. And then Matt Molson, who scored in this game, but had it it become super clear the year prior that he was not good. I guess people also would say that the Matt Molson signing was something that was actually before the tank. They signed him and then the tank season happened. So Matt Molson had kind of had two really eh, questionable seasons, did nothing about that. And then, yeah, all of those guys were in the lineup. And I'll just, just guys who I would say hurt the team that were in the opening night lineup included probably one, two of those guys. Tyler Ennis, the year prior, had gotten, he's in the lineup. He had gotten such a terrible concussion. People didn't know if he was going to really be able to play hockey again. Marcus Foligno before his prime. Like this was the roster he was putting out. Two years later, mm-hmm. that's not aggressive. He left all these friggin' bums on the roster. And meanwhile, his backup goalie, he got so lucky. He had Anders Nilsson. Whenever anyone posted a graphic of the best post-Ryan Miller, like expected goals above replacement or whatever, advanced stat charts, Anders Nilsson's on there. He got lucky. Anders Nilsson was really good that year because there's no proof ever that Anders Nilsson was going to be good. And mm-hmm. Robin Leonard was actually pretty good that season. So, So this is not aggressive. And then, as that season was falling apart, what did he do, Brandon? Nothing. Nothing. Not a... He did nothing at the trade deadline. He let the season fall apart, and he had no plan going to the next year. He was like, "Oh shit, we have the normal amount of picks." Um, I didn't even. I don't think for for whatever reason he wasn't in the lineup that night. I think he actually might have got hurt in the preseason. Dmitry Kulikov supposed to be in the lineup. That was one of his big moves, trading for Dmitry Kulikov. I guess you'd count that as another big swing. But yeah, once that. 2016 season
1: started.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Another swing and a miss. But once that 2016 season started and he saw this roster that he'd spent three years putting together, he saw what it was post-tank, he had no answer for what to do about it. None. And going forward, I don't know what they would have been. And and I know Bottrell is probably still the worst overall GM. Agreed. Era, but like, he didn't have an easy time of it. He had to try to make something of all this. And granted, he had... He could have done a better job, but man, he, they put him in a tough spot and he did worse than he could have imagined. So really tough all around Uh, the Kulikov trade out of people don't remember. It remains totally insane. Kulikov was a pending free agent. I don't know what to say about that. That's fucking crazy. Yep. (laughs) Oh man. And yeah, they, they, believe it or not, they lost opening night to star Montreal goalie, El Montoya. So oh yeah. If you uh, if you thought if you thought you missed Tim Murray, you don't really miss Tim Murray because Tim Murray did what Kevin Adams did, which is changed a lot of stuff, put out a roster that wasn't good enough and then went, "Oh shit, what do I do now?"
1: Do you ever stop and wonder what it would have been like if Pat didn't leave in 2014? Yeah, I, I kind of wonder. I I mean, interesting. I know it's there's obviously Some examples of success and some of not so much success of former players stepping into executive roles and being able to be good at it. Um, It does make you wonder, though, if we would still be in this place if he was still the president of Hockey Ops.
0: Yeah, I wonder. I know he and Murray had definitely conflicting views, but didn't LaFontaine want to re-sign Miller? That would have been interesting. I don't know if it would have been good.
1: Hmm. I actually am not sure on that one way or the other.
0: I thought that was their big point of contention and why was that it? I uh, I kind of remember reading that. I don't 100 percent remember now. It's only almost. You know, it's been more than ten years, actually.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, not yet. He left in March. Oh so almost, yeah, almost ten yeah. years. Yeah, I was in Fredonia when that happened. Mm-hmm. It still makes you. It does make me wonder though. If it came down to one or the other, picking LaFontaine over Murray, how that could have changed the course of the past 10 years. Yeah,
0: it's it's a really unfortunate what if. I mean, maybe LaFontaine really would have been different. Maybe it would have helped to have a president of Hockey Ops who so respected in the hockey world and, and maybe would have, if Tim Murray had been more willing to listen, I know it would have looked bad to fire a GM right away or if Tim Murray had decided to quit or if a, he's being overruled or they didn't get along or whatever. I don't know. But I think in hindsight, it's clear that Pat LaFontaine's worked with a lot of people over the years. I think a lot of people, a lot of good things to say about him. I don't know if the same thing's true with Tim Murray. And it's clear that Tim Murray's not the one working in hockey anymore. So who knows if maybe LaFontaine got a, diff- a second chance to bring in a GM, maybe things are different, but I don't know if they are. Maybe mm. things uh, were always destined to be this way. God, this sucks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> different question. This might've been what I was thinking of, uh, of talking about, do we, did you see any of the stuff about Yager playing in the NHL today?
1: No. I mean, I know that the Penguins had his Jersey retirement. I saw there was a lot of discourse about like comparing teams, Mount Rushmore's, but why? What, what oh, was wow. That? That,
0: I wish I saw all that. That's way more interesting.
1: Really? I think it was Jay Fresh
0: was, or that's why I saw my stuff from Jay Fresh. What's that? Jay Fresh was also talking about could Yager play today. Oh, really? If he well out could he play
1: today? Was it Jay but Fresh, I, I think Where
0: Prime Yager would rank um, in NHL players today, which also led him talking about Lemieux and Gretzky, uh, which is interesting. But I gotta be an old man for a second and say, you stupid goddamn kids, Yager would easily be first or
1: second today. Yeah, I think Yager would be behind McDavid. And it's crazy, people.
0: I don't know if people realize this 43 year old jogger played less than 10 years ago. Yeah. And was seventh in her trophy voting. As, who could you as even uh, like,
1: who who could you even <laughs> compare him to as being like, it'd be the equivalent of this guy, but like 10 times better. Like I'm trying to think of bigger players like that. Is it like Miko Rantanen?
0: That's that was the comparison. The difference is, is Jagger was awesome in his own zone.
1: Yeah, I really don't even know. Big
0: guy who's great in his own zone and is fast and is the best goal scorer and one of the best passers.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, you put Prime Yager here. It's definitely he's top three.
0: Yeah. And like people get confused because if you just pick up a guy out of an era, a past era, and drop him in any sport, I think a lot of guys would do a lot worse. Mm. But I don't know that things are changing as much anymore. And I think Yager is the kind of guy that would just. He would do just transition fine, and also this isn't that much of a hypothetical. Like I already said, Yager retired in 2018. He got hard trophy votes in like 2016 or 2015, one of those years. 2020, 20, mm, you know what? I'm gonna say it was 2014 or 2016. Absurd. Either way, he was he was great in those times. So there's not really that much of a hypothetical. As Jay Fresh said, Yager got was seventh in hard trophy voting when he was the same age that Danny Heatley and Vincent LeCavalier are today. So, it's uh, it's not oh that much of a question. My God, I think Mario is an interesting one. He's also someone that like transcended eras, despite the fact that Mario barely played any games. Like Jeff Skinner's played more games than him. Zach Bogosian's gonna play more games than him. Uh, just to name a few, he played across such, such varied eras. He played games in 1984 and 2005. Yep. So like. And he was he was still good at post-lockout, the little stretch he played. He was good. The one I'll never forget that maybe some of these kids don't know about or even not kids, people in their 30s might not know this. He retired in 97 because of his back. He was still young. He was 31 years old. He didn't play for three full seasons after that. Check the record books, 97, 98, 98, 99, 99, 2000. No Lemieux. Halfway through 2000-2001, he's like, well, he's actually co-owner of the Penguins. I was like, you know I'm good, actually. I'm cool. I could play again. And came back to have 76 points in 43 games. Oh the heart of the Dead Puck era. <gasps> Coming off his uh, couch after three and a half years. Oh, my God. With back problems. Yeah. It was insane. Incredible. He was basically scoring... To a similar degree to, like, Kucherov and McKinnon this year. Mm-hmm. He's 34. He wasn't that old. But, like, God, just after three and a half years off. And then he beat the Sabres in the playoffs, as we all might remember. But, like, yeah, look at even his seasons after that. He barely plays because he keeps getting hurt. But he's he's getting coming back from his, like, 12th and 13th or maybe 20th injuries, not to mention having cancer when he was younger. And he was still, like, a point-of-game player at age 40 mm-hmm. in the first post-lockout season.
1: Speaking Crazy. of old penguins, uh, where does Darius Kasparitis rank for you?
0: Couldn't play today. <laughs> now the Mount Rushmore mm-hmm. thing is good. We mm-hmm. we should do that over the summer. Yeah, Come maybe we, that we do that
1: for every franchise. Maybe we do Monday. We can do like our uh our top picks for the top Mount Rushmore per franchise. Mm, that's whatever our, our top three or four are or something like that. Yeah.
0: Mm, maybe you do the East. And I do the West or vice, yeah. vice versa. Yeah. Oh, that's you a great do idea. You
1: like the West better. I do like the West. Yeah. I'll do the West.
0: All right. Yeah. Maybe we do that. We we'll come up with our top ones. Who's going to be on your Seattle, not Rushmore? I know who I got in Columbus.
1: Seattle, uh, <laughs> Jordan Aberle, uh Vince Dunn. What about their
0: all time leading scorer? Who
1: is it? Jaden Schwartz?
0: I thought it was McCann.
1: It is probably yeah. McCann is definitely he's he would definitely be on there. Yeah. All right. Uh Well, I'm not. We don't have to do ev- or we could do everybody if we wanted to. Should we?
0: Yeah, sure. You just rank. Okay.
1: Them. Cool. Not like we have anything else to talk about.
0: Yeah, probably not. <laughs> don't let anything happen in this time because no the trade deadline. I'm gonna guess it's gonna be pretty quiet for the Sabers. I hope I am jinxing that for everyone out there, yeah. but I. I think it's gonna be quiet. I think it's gonna involve moving Eric Johnson for almost nothing. And then we'll see with Gergenson's.
1: Yeah. All right. Any last thoughts before we sign off, Taylor? Uh who, who should I say
0: go to? Go Bonnies, I guess. Go Bonnies. Hey, All go right. go Tigers. All-time leading scorer in Western New York, Jaden Harrison. Shout oh, out to yeah. our you were present. I was. It was right in front of me. Very, very clean, cool. very clean look on three. Swish was great. Uh, He got a nice little, uh, like a very brief ceremony, but uh, all that matters is uh, that timing is good now, and we get to tell people we went there and they're not allowed to laugh anymore.
1: Yep. It's the rules, everybody. All right, everyone. Well, thank you for tuning into this episode of Straight Up Sabers presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo. Make sure you're checking out both of the presenters of this podcast on their respective websites, whatever streaming platform you're currently using to listen to this episode. Make sure you're checking out all of our fellow shows and follow the Hockey Podcast Network and... The Charging Buffalo on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. you can also find us, Straight Up Savers. And before you close out of the app, whatever you're using to listen to us right now, please, we'd very much appreciate it if you would either subscribe or follow us and leave us a nice rating or review. It would mean an awful lot. And last but not least, we have our wonderful sponsor. We have DraftKings Sportsbook. Use the promo code THPN at checkout to take advantage of great deals. Thanks all so much for tuning in. We'll be back with a brand new episode on Monday. This is Ben, Straight Up Savers.